0: All right, Exodus chapter 28. Before we start, uh, I, just a couple quick things I need to draw your attention to. Uh, there's, a, there's a flyer like this that will be on your seat. And it has both uh, next week's uh, Christmas uh, family service here on the 18th. And then also uh, the 24th, a Saturday, Christmas Eve, at Hillcrest at 4 p.m., we're doing a Christmas Eve service, a really simple service. We've given this to you not just so that you know what's happening, but we're really wanting to encourage you guys who consider this your home church to literally pray about who to give this to. Uh, a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, someone who you might invite to hear about Jesus at Christmas. Both services will be fun. Both services will be accessible. Both services will clearly have the gospel Presented. Jesus will be clearly presented. So we really encourage you guys to pray about that. And if you want to uh, take some and distribute them to your block, there's plenty back there. You can take a load to, to distribute them. The also, uh, we, we did pass out 500 yesterday, as well as 500 for the other Christmas outreach we're doing on Thursday with Anyone for Tea, uh, which is our uh, sort of midweek, uh, middle of the day group. Um And uh, we're hoping to pass out some more, distribute some more on Saturday, both in this neighborhood and a couple other places around Hillcrest. So if you're interested, please talk to me about that. That would be super helpful. So make sure you pray about who you're going to give this one to today. All right. I really need to pray. (laughs) So can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. As we get into your word, Lord, we need that work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our great high priest. And we can trust that your Holy Spirit will speak to us and show us what it means to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this to help us to see that we are are called to be those who go directly to you that, Father, you've given us access to you through Jesus, our great high priest. We don't need another priest. We don't need another person. We can go right to you. Thank you that he represents us. And we thank you, Lord, that also you've called us to represent you and to speak of the greatness of our high priest to anyone who will listen. And so we pray, God, that you would stir us up about these truths, that we would see the pattern that you have for your priests, and we consider ourselves to be them. Please, Lord, we pray to you for anyone here who maybe doesn't yet understand who you are or has yet to trust you for their life, for their salvation, for their future. And we pray, Lord, that today might be that day of salvation for them. Father, we thank you that you can do above and beyond. You do above and beyond what we can ask or think. And so we commit the rest of this service to you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Amen. So I want to read some verses to you. You're really going to want to keep your nose in the book this morning. Uh, We're going to read most of the verses, not all the verses, but most of the verses of chapter 28 and 29, as we see this pattern that God has for his high priest's. So let's start off by reading some of the verses in this section. We want to read uh, chapter 28, verses 1 to 5, and then I'll tell you where to go next. So follow me. Chapter 28, verse 1 says, Then bring near to you, this is God speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with you from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, And his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and finely twined linen. Now look at verse 43, or verse 40, sorry, of chapter 28. Verse 40. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps, you shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting and when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place lest they bear guilt and die. This is a statute forever for him and his offspring after him. Now look at chapter 29, verse 29. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as a priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. Now, people are often identified by their clothes. It's true, isn't it, that we identify people by their clothes. You see a guy wearing a dog collar. You know what he is? He's a vicar. You see someone wearing that kind of strange-shaped hat, you know, kind of a roundish hat, and he's wearing a dark uniform. He's got this big stick on the side. What is he? He's a policeman. You see someone who wears a certain color uh, a uniform, and it has, it says, Norfolk Fire Service. Doesn't take a brain surgeon. was he? A fireman. The reality is, our clothes, our clothing, identify us. And what's interesting here, right off the bat, in the first part of the description, when God says to Moses, Moses, here's the garments I want you to have made for my priests, he calls them to use the same materials that he used to build the tabernacle. And we saw last week, right? In fact, there should be a diagram to remind you of what the tabernacle is like, a very crude diagram, but a diagram nonetheless. And the outside rectangle, and then the inside rectangle, that's the outside courtyard, the inside courtyard. And if you remember from last week, these were both made of woven material, tall curtains with the same kind of uh, materials that are being now described here about the priest's clothing. And it's as if God says, Moses, I want to make sure that the priests are walking, talking tabernacles, places where God is dwelling. And he calls him to this because he wants the priest to do something. He wants the priest to represent the fact that he, God, dwells with his people. Now, the section that we're going to read, or this, these chapters we're going to read and study today, these are really not just about the, the instructions for the garments that the priest will wear. We will talk about that. But it's also about what, how God's going to ordain his priests. Ordain simply means, literally, the, the Hebrew word for ordain means to fill the hand. And it's this idea, the word I, ord, ordain or ordination is the idea of giving something something specific to do. Giving someone a specific task, a role they're meant to fulfill. So ordination is basically just saying, this is the role you're going to fulfill. And it's important as we look at this as well, that we think of two things. Number one, we need to remember that Aaron and his sons were no better than any of us. In fact, we'll see later on in Exodus, they were pretty dodgy. But we'll also see this, listen, that there's a New Testament parallel. Of course, this is the Old Testament Exodus, right? But there's a New Testament parallel in us as God's people. Listen to this. We, we talked about this earlier when we were uh, in Exodus 19, but listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Notice, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there's a reality when we look at these, even the garments of the high priest and the ordination of the priest to do the ministry that God's called them to do in the tabernacle. There's an an understanding that in the New Testament, these things apply. To all Jesus followers. And we need to think about this. Because I think, I hope you, you, you notice there in 1 Peter how, how there's kind of this twofold thing. That as, as a holy priesthood or a royal priesthood, as a holy priesthood, we're able to kind of represent, be representing, represented directly to God. We can go right to God with our sacrifices. Something only the priest could do before. So we have direct access to God. But also, do you notice in, in, in the other section that we are also called to proclaim the excellencies of him? That means we represent God to others, to the world around us. And we're going to see this in the high priest's clothing. But I hope that we see that this is what God's called us to. He's called us to both the privilege of his presence and the responsibility of making him known. This is the pattern for his priesthood. So let's pick it up in verse 6. And we're going to look at three main things in, in chapters 28 and 29 uh, that we can learn about priestly ministry that all of us as Jesus followers can learn. The first is this. We see the high priest being robed to be God's representative. And the descriptions of the, of the garments here are really for the high priest more than anything. Verse 6, here's what it says. God says to Moses, then you shall make an ephah. That's kind of like an apron, an ornate apron. Of gold, of blue, of purple, and scarlet yarns of finely twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. Drop down the verse nine, and you shall take two onyx stones and engrave them, the, uh, engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of the names shall be on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in order of their birth. Drop down the verse twelve. And he shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. Now here we have something really clear. God is calling Aaron to dress in such a way with these specific stones, with the names of Israel on one side, the names of the other six of Israel tribes on this side, to He's carrying literally carrying the people into the presence of God. He's representing them before God. That's what he's doing. This is his role as the high priest. And this is significant, this is really important, because listen, in the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, 15 times Jesus is referred to as our high priest. And not because he was a Levite, like one of these, like related to Aaron and Moses in that sense. In fact, we know from Hebrews he's of a different order, the order of Melchizedek. Hold their Bible study. But the reality is he functions for us as a great high priest. That Jesus is the one who represents us before God. This is why we can be bold. This is why we can be confident. This is why we can know that we know that we know that we're able to pray because we're accepted into God's presence, because Jesus represents us as our high priest. Now, from verses 15 uh, to 30, it's the longest section, and it deals with the smallest, actually the smallest piece of garment. Look at verse 15. He says, you shall make a breast piece of judgment. We'll come back to what that word means in a bit. He says, verse 16, it shall be square and doubled, a span its uh, length and a span its breadth, you shall, set it in four, you shall set in it four rows of stones. Now, he's describing kind of this bag, this small, kind of almost like a purse that's ornate, that has these 12 stones. So on the shoulders, they had two stones, a big onyx stone with six names, another big onyx stone with six names. Here on this bag, this ornate bag, there's 12 stones. And on each of these 12 stones, we're going to see are the names of each one of the individual tribes. Drop down the verse 21. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. Now, there's a reason for this. And the reason is found out as we drop down to verse 29. Why has God taking so much time to describe? In fact, if you want to read this on your own time, you'll see that it gives really detailed description, uh, descriptions of how this thing's meant to be made. And it's meant to be made in such a way that it, it's, it sits securely on the chest of Aaron. Like it can't bounce around. It sits there really tight and securely. That's the description. But look at verse 29. So Aaron, no, I'm sorry, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. And when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord, and in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thumen, and they shall be on Aaron's heart. When he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now I'm reading, of course, from the English Standard Version of the Bible. I don't know if anybody has an NIV. But if you have an NIV with you, you know it says something different. It says something more along the lines of that these things are the means of making decisions. So these two things, this Urim and Thummim, We don't really know exactly what they are, but we do know by the way that these words or these things are described in their use in other places of Scripture, that they were somehow used for making decisions. And so you have the sense where where the, the, the high priest Aaron, when he goes before God, he has sort of strapped against his chest with these valuable stones, these precious stones, the name of every single tribe of Israel. And, and, and just underneath that, inside the pocket, are these two other probably stones that are used to, to discern what God's will is for his people. In other words, Aaron isn't just to represent the people before God, he's to represent God and God's will before the people. This is what God wants for you. Now, this is important. It's important because, as we've already said, we have this both privilege and responsibility of both being able to go directly to God because of Jesus as our high priest, but also we have a a responsibility to share Jesus as the good high priest, to make him known. But this, listen, this is where really, uh, at least in this section describing the garments, this is where the sort of analogy for us kind of ends. Because look what happens in verse 31. In verse 31, here's what... He describes, God describes to Moses, you shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue. Blue, by the way, is the color of heaven. There's something divine about this robe. It shall be, have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening of a garment so that it may not tear. And on its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with, with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate a, around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on uh, on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. Now there's a Jewish tradition that says that they would actually tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest, so we didn't go in there, they'd, they'd hear the jingling of him You know, doing what he needed to do, especially on the one day of a year, the Day of Atonement, where he applied the blood of of the Lamb onto the the holiest of holies, onto the mercy seat, if we talked about that last year. And that basically they had that rope because if they stopped hearing the jingling of the bells, they needed to drag the guy out because he was dead. No one wants that job, do they? But the purpose is more than that. The idea here with these precious bells or these. Uh, these these sounding bells and these pomegranates, is he's also, of course, representing something about God's people. And this become more clear when we get to verse 36. God says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. That's what's engraved on this plate. And you shall fasten it to the turban by a cord of blue, and it shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now I want you to think about this, okay? When Aaron enters into the holy place... As the high priest representing God's people before God, listen, God says you need to have something on your forehead. It needs to say, holy to the Lord. Some versions say, holiness to the Lord. You need to recognize not only do you have a responsibility to be holy, that definitely comes into this, but that also that you are meant to bring, listen, an acceptable sacrifice, a holy sacrifice that makes my people holy before me. So Aaron's meant to represent, listen, he's meant to represent the sacrifice that is meant to make them holy. But also, listen, when it talks about the fact that he will bear the guilt of the holy things, he's also meant to represent the sinful people who are given the sacrifice. So the high priest and the high priest only, listen, represents both the sinner and the sacrifice. See, none of us can do this. None of us can do this. We need a high priest that can stand before God, representing us as sinners, and also representing the required sacrifice that makes us acceptable to God. There's only one who can do this. There's only one who's done it. His name is Jesus. Listen. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ never sinned. Jesus never sinned ever sinned. Not in thought or word or deed. Never. He always loved God perfectly. He always loved others perfectly. He did exactly what God called him to do at all times. And yet, God took all the sinfulness of humanity and placed it on his shoulders. He represents sinful humanity, not because he sinned, but because he's fully and totally human. But also, Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, reading from the New Living Translation. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. God, Christ brings us to God. Listen, this is really important. Because when we're talking about the high priest, when we're talking about this this first point of of the high priest was to be robed as God's representative, it's important that we recognize that we are only a royal priesthood because Jesus is our great high priest. Do you get this? Some people look to Christianity because they're looking for meaning and purpose in their life. That, That was one of the things that attracted me. Life to me seemed futile. What's the point? And, and the gospel, Jesus, who he is, what Christianity presents, gave me meaning. But listen, it's only real, it only really means something if Jesus really is a great high priest. If he really died for our sins, if he really rose from the dead, if he really makes us right with God. Because if he doesn't really make us right with God, we have no confidence for eternity and we have nothing to share with others. Being a part of a church is great in the sense of community. And we hope if you're here that you feel like you're welcomed. We hope if you're still visiting, you're still investigating Christianity, that you feel like that you're wanted here, you're welcomed here. We want you to belong here. We hope you feel that. But we also hope you recognize that your belonging comes from first belonging to Jesus. You can only get to God through the great high priest. You can only join us in the mission that God has by having him as your great high priest. So, so, this is the garments that we see that God tells Moses, I want these things made for my great high priest, for my high priest Aaron. And we see how these point to Jesus and how they point to what God, what He's provided for us to be involved in that ministry. But we get to chapter 29, and, and this is where it gets a little bit, it gets really challenging. Because here we get to the place where God is calling Aaron and his sons to be consecrated, that is, set apart for a purpose. Sanctified means to set apart, being set apart by God for God. Consecrated is more what you're set apart for. You're set apart for God, but also for the specific purpose, okay? And we see that they're being set apart through these necessary sacrifices. That God's telling Moses, these things have to be in place if you're going to actually be my priest. These things have to be in place if you're going to be my priest. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, God says to Moses, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams, notice, without blemish. That's important. We'll come back to that. And an unleavened bread, unleavened cakes made with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket. You shall bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron and, of course, put on his sons. Now, here's the thing you need to recognize. That, that, that these guys being called, Aaron and his sons being called the specific Old Testament priesthood. That before they could move forward and actually operate in this, before they could actually do, fulfill the specific role. Remember, that's what ordain means, to, to fulfill to fill the hand, to do the role that God's gives you to do. Before they can do the role that God gives them to do, they must be washed. Now, I don't think this was them being naked in front of everybody. They were probably wearing the holy underwear that we said, we saw described earlier on. But this is them in a place publicly where they are exposed and they're washed so they can be clothed. This is really important. We have nothing to offer people unless we've been cleansed. The priest needed to be washed with water. But also, with these bull, the bull and these rams, these ordination sacrifices, we'll see. There's, 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 there's wrapped up in these three sacrifices, listen, that need to be rightly understood. And more importantly, they need to be rightly applied. Look at verse 10. God says to Moses, you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall, notice, lay their hands on the head of the bull. Now we're going to see them do this as well with the rams. So they bring these animals. Their animals are still alive at this point. And Aaron and their sons, have to. they're probably being held by several guys, especially the bull. And and they have to put their hands on the bull, on the animal. And they're putting their hands on the animal as a way to kind of transfer. It's like they're recognizing, I recognize this animal, first and foremost, is without blemish. It's a perfect sacrifice. But also, I'm recognizing that my sinfulness... My falling short, my lack is being put onto this animal. It now represents what needs to happen. He says in verse 12, you shall take part of the blood of the bull. Because they told him to kill the bull at the entrance, the entrance sorry, of the lamb. Entrance, sorry, of the tent of meeting. And he says, You shall put it on the altar, the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the lung lobe and the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them. And you shall burn them on the altar. We'll talk about why the fat always goes to God in a minute. But the flesh of the bull, notice the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung or its, in, its intestines. You shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, there's going to mention three offerings a sin offering, a burnt offering, and what in this context is the ordination offering. And each of these things means something. The first thing we have to see is the sin offering is about getting forgiveness from God. This has to be there before the priesthood can operate. There has to be a recognition of how sin has been, been paid for and that sin has been paid for. But look at verse 15. Then he shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hand. Hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. Notice it is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Now it's not pleasing to the Lord because he likes barbecue. I like barbecue. But it's not about God liking barbecue. Because here's what a burnt offering is. A burnt offering shows a dedication. It's like a whole dedication. Lord, my entire life is yours. It starts with the first sacrifice. My sin has been, you've dealt with my sin through the bowl you provided. The perfect perfect sacrifice you provided. Now, Lord, this other sacrifice also, I want to recognize my whole life is yours. What happens next? Verse 19. You shall take the other ram. And Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and he shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the, notice, the tip of the right ear of Aaron and the tips of the right ears of his son and the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the side of the altar. Then he shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and notice, of the anointing oil, we're going to come back to that, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy, and he and his sons' garments with him. Now, we know from uh, down in verse 28 that this offering, this second ram, is, 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 is connected to what's called the peace offerings or the fellowship offerings. And so we know that this, this is really an ordination offering. It's, it's specific to what's happening in chapter 29 with the priests getting ready to be priests, okay? But it's connected to the fellowship offering. So you have this idea that God's saying, through this offering, you're showing there needs to be fellowship, that there's fellowship with God. Now, this is really, really important, especially if we think about what being a, a kingdom of priests means, about having access to God and about being, having the responsibility uh, of representing God, what does it mean? Do you notice the order? Sin offering, burn offering, ordination offering. Forgiveness from God, dedication to God, fellowship with God. We tend to want to skip the first two and go right to the third. One of the reasons we struggle as modern Western Christians is because we have this familiarity with God. Oh, God, you know, I can call God Abba, Father, I can pray to him like he's my daddy. That is absolutely true. But do you recognize that's only absolutely true because there's already been a sin offering? And it's absolutely true because in, in the recognition of that sin offering, you say, here's my life as a burnt offering. I identify first supremely and solely as yours, Lord. Can you imagine an incredibly wealthy person coming to you and saying, listen, I don't have any children of my own, so I want to adopt you and leave you all that I have. Well, first of all, you probably wouldn't believe him, but if he could convince you that that's what he really wanted to do, and you're like, wow, awesome, that sounds great. And so then, then this, this, this person proves to you who he is, and, 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 and the, or she is, and has a, a, the wealth that they have, and, and why legally it's going to be your, yours on their passing, and you're going to have this thing. And they give you the paperwork and you go, awesome, see you later. And all you do is each day look at the obituary see when this dude's going to die. Because when that dude dies, all he has is mine. What does that say about your heart? Do you even appreciate what this person's going to give you? Do you even want to know what this person is like? Do you want to be identified with this person? Or you, do, you just want the benefits of his death. Because what this teaches us here, when God says, listen, they are, these are, you're set apart by these necessary sacrifices, and these sacrifices have to be rightly applied, it shows us that, listen, God's calling us to something that's more than just, hey, nice, nice thing, I'll keep that, that uh, sort of last will and testament tucked away in a safe place, or occasionally I'll, I'll give you a phone call to see how you're doing, see if you're, you're still healthy. In fact, you notice what, it has, to, what has to happen with this, this ordination offering or this fellowship offering. It needs to be replied to the right ear, the right thumb, and the right foot. Why? Because a priest, a kingdom of priests, a priesthood, have to be those who are ready to listen as one who has been sacrificed for. The idea here is that to listen is to obey, like whatever you say I want to do. It's not just like, okay, I heard you. It's like, okay, I'm listening with the intent to obey. Listen as someone who's been sacrificed for. The right thumb. Work as someone who's been sacrificed for. The right big toe, the right foot. Walk as someone who's been sacrificed for. This is, again, listen, your privilege and your responsibility as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what he calls us to. It's interesting because the author of Hebrews sort of ties all these three offerings together when he says this at the end of his letter in Hebrews chapter 13. Listen, he says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Remember you read that about the bull? So Jesus also suffered outside the camp in order to sanctify people through his own blood. Therefore, what does it say? Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Guys, listen. It's not in your notes, but I encourage you to read the first part of Romans chapter 8. It won't be on the screen, but in the very first part of Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how we are co-heirs with Christ. That everything that Jesus has, that the, 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 the privilege of sonship and all that 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 entails and the and the victory and the and the things that he he won over and redeeming the whole world and all that are in it to himself, that we are co-heirs of those things. We inherit that with him. But it also says in the same context that we're co-heirs, assuming that we're also co-sufferers, that we're those who are saying, God, it's a privilege to know you, and so I'm going to, to do the hard work of drawing close to you. And it's hard work, isn't it? It's not hard work because it's not a, a privilege and it's not a, a beautiful thing to do. It's hard work because we're sinful still. And we're slow to believe the gospel still. And so though the, the, the scripture tells us, the Hebrews tells us, to come boldly into the throne of grace, we kind of tiptoe in and, oh, I feel guilty. and oh, It's been a while since I've prayed and I don't know. And we actually act as if the sin offering hasn't been done. But here's the deal: We suffer when we push through that and say, "God, you're worthy that I labor to know you." That, as the Puritans used to say in the 16th century, "Pray until you pray." You're worthy of that because I have you've been given me this great privilege that I get to seek you and know you. But also, listen. There's this great responsibility that we have to be those who are willing. To suffer ridicule and mockery. That we are willing to sacrifice. Why? Because we have the responsibility to make this high priest known as a kingdom of priests of a holy nation. And we're willing to do that. See, this also connects to what we're going to do a little bit in a few minutes. We're going to go to the Lord's table. And we're going to remember what Jesus has done to be our sin offering and our burnt offering and our fellowship offering. All that those offerings provided for those in the Old Testament, we are provided eternally through Jesus' sacrifice. But here's the thing we need to recognize, okay? Going to the Lord's table, remembering the Lord through communion, through the crushed grape and the unleavened bread, that that is about rightly applying the sacrifice of Jesus in grateful remembrance. See, when we go to the, the Lord's table, and I, again, if you're, if you're new to Christianity and you're still not really sure why you guys drink this bit of juice and eat this bit of cracker, that's cool, I, I, it does seem weird, I admit that. But it represents fellowship or a meal shared with Jesus that he's provided for. Listen, and we're meant to recognize all that he's provided that our sins have been dealt with. That where we've fallen short to give God all our life, Christ already has. And where we don't draw near to God as we ought to, Christ already has. And remember, Lord, you've already done what we have failed to do, and what you've done is enough so that we can now begin to do it afresh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your death is enough until you come. This is what Paul says, is referring to, and he says we need to examine ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, not as an unworthy person, that's all of us, but in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What does he mean, unworthy manner? This is kind of when we get back to the idea of the bells and the pomegranates and the high priest's robe. The idea of of him having the pomegranates is pomegranates is a perfect fruit for fruitfulness. My wife, Sarah, is a huge fan of pomegranates. And I I like them, too. Not as much as she does, but I like them, too. And the thing is, on the outside, pomegranates aren't that attractive. But when you break them open, there's these little jewels. Uh, And each jewel is just beautiful and sweet and tasty. And each jewel has a seed in it, which means it can produce other trees. It can produce other fruit. So pomegranate is the perfect fruit to choose to, to show fruitfulness. And these bells, these golden bells, it's kind of like, you can imagine Aaron as he begins to go into, right before he goes into the holy place, and they he's, he's dressed in his robe, and he begins to walk in there. Ching, 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 And he knows exactly what he's about to do. He's about to go in the very presence of God. There's no flippant, ching, 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 ching. there's a a sobriety there as maybe he has his head down and he sees the fruit around the hem of his garment and thinks, Lord, am I fruitful enough? And there's a a sobriety there as he he enters towards God and he hears hears the bells and he thinks, I dare not just rush into God's presence. Now, Now here's the reality. We can come boldly into God's presence. We can run jingling all the way. Christmas reference, did you get that? See what I did there? We can do that. You know what we can do that? Because Christ, our great high priest, has made us completely acceptable. Remember what we saw last week? What happened with that veil between the holy place and the holy of holies that we, we talked about in the temple. What happened with that veil? Torn from top to bottom. We can go, boom, run right in. But the reality is, listen, we still dare not run in without thinking about how good God has been through Christ, about all that God has provided for us in Christ, without recognizing that it's Christ and Christ alone that makes us worthy to approach him. Do you see this? Now, from verse 22 down to 34, we see how this ordination offering is used really to, to make sure there's Practical provision needed uh, for the priests when they're going through this seven-day ordination process. So I'm going to go really fast with this. Look at verse 22. You shall take the fat of the ram, the fat of the tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, the lung lobe of the river, the two kidneys with the fat on them, and the, and the right thigh it is the ram of ordination, and one loaf and one cake uh, bread made with oil, one wafer out of the basket. Notice it says you shall place all these in the palms or the hands of Aaron and his sons, It says, for a wave offering, that's not what surfers give, it's something else, okay? For a wave offering before the Lord, then you shall take from them uh, their hands and burn them on the altar uh, on top as a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, it is a food offering to the Lord. In other words, these guys have to set an example. These guys are called to, to show publicly, look, this is what we're doing with this. We're transparent here that we need the Lord sacrifice as much as anybody else. But also drop down to verse 28. Continuing to also talk about this wave offering, part of it was to be kept for them. It says, It shall be for Aaron and his sons a, as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. In other words, Going forward, when they're ministering in the temple, when the God's people bring a, a fellowship offering, part of that goes to provide food, practical necessities, for Aaron and his sons. In other words, the reason God's demanding this and saying this is necessary is it's encouraging a congregational responsibility. That God's people were never meant to be spectators. They were always meant to be involved in the work that God was doing to dwell among his people and to make himself known among the nations. And then lastly, in verse 31 to 34, again, I'll read this quick. It says, You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in the holy place, and Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the rams and the bread that is in the basket. In the entrance of the tent meeting, they shall eat these things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. In other words, look, you need to eat this and you need not to share this with anybody. It's not a casual thing. It's a recognition that this is what God's giving you and this is what you have. The idea here is it's keeping the priest focused on their work. Now, we read this and you might go, okay, that's whatever, John. I can see maybe how that applies to you. I don't know if that has to do with us, but it has totally to do with us. Because you know what? When Jesus is talking to his followers at the, at the Sermon on, with the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's kind of giving them a picture that sounds like this section of the priesthood. Descriptions. Listen to this. I'm reading it again from the New Living Translation. This is Jesus speaking. He says, So don't worry about these things saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Can you see how this is meant to be? And and, and encouragement to be a royal priesthood? Hey, let God meet your needs. Let God meet your needs. And you focus on kingdom work. This is not saying that all of you guys quit your jobs and just live on faith. I'm not calling you to do that, don't worry. But what I am saying is, can you see the priorities that God lays out, that Jesus is laying out in the New Testament? Listen, when you stand before God, And I'm being really serious here. When you stand before God on that great judgment day, you stand before God, do you think God's going to say, hey, good good job on that real estate investment. You doubled your money. Well done. And I see that when you died, you still had all of it in your bank account. Well done. Do you think God's going to say that to you? No. Make good investments. Make as much money as you possibly can. But think about what God would have you do with it. What would God have you do with that? Now, we get to this last and final section. I'm going to go pretty quick through. Because when it comes to the pattern for God's priests, they were robed to be his representatives. They were set apart through these necessary sacrifices. But also, they're prepared for God's presence. Again, here's our privilege. Look at verse thirty five of twenty of chapter twenty nine. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all I've commanded you, through seven days you shall ordain them, and each day you shall offer a bowl of sin offering for atonement. You shall purify the altar and make atonement for it. You shall anoint it and to, to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Notice who whatever touches the altar shall become holy. So you you probably recognize that that it wasn't just the the blood being applied to the priest, but actually the blood being slathered on the altar. That God making sure that the place where sacrifices are acceptable, that that place itself is acceptable. So that whatever gets connected to that place is therefore acceptable. In other words, listen, a holy altar makes a holy people. Let's connect this back to communion. When we take communion, we're we're not re-crucifying Jesus. He died once for all. When we take communion, we're recognizing that is the holy altar. That God took the most unholy form of execution and crucifixion, and he redeemed it to save the whole world. And he uses it to call us to follow after Jesus, to pick up our cross and follow after him. It's his cross that provides our cross. It's his holy altar that makes us holy, set apart from him, that gives us the privilege of being his. But look at verse 38. God says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. Drop down to verse 42. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. Notice, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. God's talking about which we'll see in chapter 40, where God's presence comes into the tabernacle. He sets it all apart by his presence. But he calls for this to happen. By continuous sacrifices. They had to offer sacrifices every morning, every night, every morning, every night to provide that continuous sacrifice, continuous sacrifice for continuous fellowship. Do we need to do that? No. <laughs> no. Once for all, Jesus provided that. What we have to do is continuously believe that God, I believe that what Jesus did was enough. Is enough to provide this continuous fellowship. And lastly, look at verse 43. I'm sorry, verse 45. God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel. I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This sounds probably more formal to us than it would have sounded to the first people who heard this. Moses heard this and was probably blown away afresh. Wow, God, we're yours. And when God's people heard this, they would have thought, wow, who among all the nations has a God so near as our God? They would have blown away with this. You see, here's what God's saying, basically saying, my abiding presence is communicating my abiding love. This is the privilege of being a kingdom of priests. You get to be where only Aaron got to go once a year. You get to be, if your faith is in Jesus, you get to be where Jesus has only been for eternity past. You can go there anytime you're willing. Listen, this is the love God has for you. Romans chapter 5. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Did any of those things separate Christ from his love, the love of the Father? <coughs> Absolutely not. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, the expectation we have as Jesus followers is to suffer like he does. But does any of the suffering separate us from the love of God? Absolutely not. Listen, he says no, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God is calling you, and he's calling me to recognize Christ as our high priest, Christ who's who's robed as God's representative, that we might be robed in his righteousness as God's representative, that we would recognize that we would be set apart from the necessary uh, sacrifices that he's provided, all that he's provided, and that we would be prepared to go right into his presence. So that we can know him and we can make him known. Is there anything else in this world that gives such privilege, that gives such responsibility? Anything else? So what else are you gonna live for? Father, we pray that you would help us to know you in truth. And I pray again, Lord, for anyone here Who's, who's considering what it means to be a Jesus follower. That they would recognize first and foremost through this Old Testament pattern, they would recognize first and foremost that, that you're the one who paid for their sins. And I pray, Father, for those of us that know you, Lord, that we would now remember what you've done for us. Father, I pray you prepare our hearts as the music team comes back up and we get ready to go to the Lord's table. I pray you would prepare our hearts not to be worthy people. We're never worthy, but to come in a worthy manner. We say, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We say, Lord, we want to come before you as our great high priest and say, thank you, Jesus, that you made us acceptable to the Father. Thank you, Father, that we can come right into your presence. Thank you, Spirit, that you dwell in us because Christ has qualified us for that. Be pleased by this, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.